My name is David. I'm the pastor. So glad y'all are with us. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to John 19. I don't know how you feel like when uh, Ashley shared that. I don't know if that sounds indulgent to you or that song seems indulgent, singing about ourselves. So um, your self-esteem is really irrelevant. Um, what matters is your identity, that you know yourself, who you are in Jesus, that you're a son or a daughter. Otherwise, this, doesn't, this isn't a great way of saying it, but it's true. You're an orphan. And orphans in general have to fight for whatever it is that they feel like they need. There's no security. You can't love God well and you can't love people well if you don't know who you are in Jesus because you're always going to be grasping for something. Whether that grasping looks a lot like singing for your supper and so you're performing really, really well. Or that grasping looks like cutting other people at the knees so that you can get what they have. Either way... It's going to be very difficult for you to, I would say impossible, for you to love God well and love people well if you're not rooted in the fact that you've been adopted into his family. So that's why that's important. Again, it's not patting ourselves on the back to say how great we are. It's not at all. It's to recognize that we've been adopted into God's family, and that changes everything. Uh, Two things before we jump into John 19. One, uh, today at 1 o'clock, Mayor Tumlin has asked the churches on the square to pray for the city. And so we're going to do that. Uh, First Methodist, First Baptist, First Presbyterian, Zion, and Stonebridge. We're going to be on the square in Glover Park at 1. It'll be cool and breezy, I'm sure. Just come. I don't know how long it'll last. I'm thinking maybe half an hour. There's four areas the mayor has asked us to pray for. And each church is taking an area. And First Pres is kind of emceeing the whole thing. So I'm imagining it's 30 to 45 minutes. Just come. Uh, if you can, and we're going to pray for our city. And what prompted this was what happened in El Paso and Dayton. So he, that's the impetus behind this. So there's praying for the schools and for the city and for first responders and, and for city leadership. So we'd love to see you at one if you can make it. Second thing, uh, many of you may have seen in our email newsletter, Jeremy Morris, who was our adult discipleship pastor, is now our student pastor. So we've been looking uh, for somebody to step into Jeremy's role. And this week we hired Matt Nelson. So Matt, you want to come up? Katie, come on. This is Matt and Katie Nelson. There are, he is our new adult discipleship pastor. His wife, Katie. And they have two children up the street. Matt's just going to introduce themselves. It should already be on. Hey guys, um, my name is Matt Nelson. This is my wife, Katie. And we're very excited to be here this morning with you guys. Um, we both grew up in Marietta. And uh, we have two daughters, Hope and Elise. And um, about four months ago, we moved back from Cambodia. For the past seven years, we've been serving um, in Cambodia. And Stonebridge has been our home church. It's been our, more than that, it's really been our anchor. Um, through the highs and lows, we know that you guys have had our backs. You guys have been praying for us. And we felt it. And uh, we couldn't have gone through the last seven years without you. And so it's a very excited tone and, and a very honored feeling that we are so excited to be able to serve you, serve you guys and to serve our church family. And so thank you. I'm looking forward to meeting you guys. Please come back in the back to uh, say hi to me. And yeah, thank you guys. You say anything? Yeah. No, you're good. <laughs> so uh, Matt's primary responsibilities, one, so he and Katie went to Lassiter. I'm trying to decide if that means they grew up in Marietta. (laughs) Sounds a little East Cobby to me. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) 
so he's helping newcomers connect. Uh, so if you're here first week, second week, third week, you're trying to navigate Stonebridge, grab Matt. He'll be in the welcome room. Also, he's helping small groups. So if you're a, a returning small group leader or you're, you're thinking about leading a small group in the fall, find Matt. It'll be much easier for you to go find him than for him to try to find you amidst the sea of 500 people in our church. So please reach out to him. And he's also going to be helping with some adult discipleship stuff that we'll be doing over the course of the year. He's, I think you'll find really quickly, he has a pastor's heart. He's a shepherd at heart. He's one of the most genuine and sincere people I know. And I think you will, you will be um, glad that he is a part of this staff very quickly. All right, John 19. Uh, where we left off, the Jewish leaders had just brought Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor, and they're wanting Pilate to rubber stamp Jesus' death sentence. They want Jesus executed. They want Pilate to do it. Pilate doesn't like the Jews. The Jews don't like Pilate. Pilate doesn't trust the Jews. The Jews don't trust Pilate. So there's some jockeying back and forth as they're trying to read each other and maneuver and position. But ultimately, the Jews back Pilate into a corner. They have this trump card that they play and what they say is, this guy has claimed to be a king, and if you don't kill him, then we're going to tell your bosses that you let a rival to Caesar go free. And Pilate knows that could mean his job, most likely, and could also mean his life. And so he relents and agrees to allow Jesus to be executed. All of this is happening on Friday of Passover week. So you've got tens of thousands of extra Jews in Jerusalem celebrating Passover, uh, Friday is, it's the day before, it's called Preparation Day. It's the day before Passover, and on this particular year, Passover falls on a Sabbath. So there are all of those things kind of swirling around together. Now, we know Good Friday matters because of Easter Sunday. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then we're not sitting in this room, and we're certainly not talking about his death 2,000 years later. Like we, we know that. Either he died as a blasphemer, and he deserved it, or he died as a you know, uh, someone who, who maybe believed in his cause, someone who is sincere but sincerely wrong, and maybe that's noble or tragic or heroic, or, or he died as an innocent man who was executed by the state, and unfortunately that happens as well. He's, he's one of those three things, but most likely we don't even know his name. And we're certainly not here talking about him. For to this week and next week, I want to try to stay focused on his death, though, and not looking at it through the lens of his resurrection quite yet. I want us to try to stay focused on his death. So today, we're really just going to look at the details, and then next week, we're going to talk about why it matters. Why did Jesus have to die? So beginning in verse 16, finally, Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. Metaphorically, or he handed Jesus over to the Jews. That's what they wanted. And then literally, he handed Jesus over to the Roman soldiers because they would be the ones who executed him. So the, the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified. It was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews presented, uh, excuse me, protested to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. 
This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, so that's his aunt, we don't know her name, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here's your son, and to the disciple, here's your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. So crucifixion was meant to be agonizing and intimidating. It was supposed to be excruciating for the person being crucified, and it was to serve as a warning to everyone who saw it. So Romans would crucify on an I like this, or a T like this, or an X like this. Jesus got crucified on a T. So the vertical would have been stuck in the ground, and Jesus would have carried the horizontal beam with him. That's, the, that's when it says Jesus carried his cross. It's just that one horizontal beam that he carried. would have been pretty heavy, have to support his body weight. So he would have already been, we've already seen him flog, so he's kind of softened up and paraded to this site. He's attached to the cross, either by nails or by ropes. We know that Jesus was nailed to the cross. The nails would have gone through his wrists, not through his hands, to better support his body weight. And his feet would probably have been nailed kind of like this, where he, um, on either side of the vertical beam, with the nail going through either his heels or his ankles, one or the other, to hold. And the, 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 the method, I guess, or the, the way that you died was you suffocated. You couldn't breathe. And so it, was, it could take hours. It could take days. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to try to get into all the medical stuff. You can Google that. But in general, all your weight is on your wrists, and you're leaning forward. It makes it difficult to breathe. You press up on your feet, which allows you to breathe, which obviously hurts like crazy. And then you go up and down and up and down until at some point you just wear out and you die. And so the gospel writers don't go into great detail. It's not... Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, where you're getting the blow by blow. They just say Jesus was crucified. They don't get into all of the physical agony that he experienced, but it was an excruciating way to die and was intended to be so by the Roman soldiers. It was also meant to intimidate. He was crucified in a public place. This charge that was levied against him, that would be a normal thing. Maybe you'd hang a sign over the criminal's head and it would say what they were convicted of. Jesus said king of the Jews and the Jewish leader said no, just say that's what he claimed to be and Pilate was not confessing his faith. He was just trying to stick it to the Jews saying what I've written, I've written and it was written in Aramaic which is the language the Jews spoke at the time. It was written in Latin which was the language of the government. It was written in Greek which was the language of the marketplace that kind of the common language of the day. So everyone who goes by Remember, there's thousands of extra people in Jerusalem. They can read what Jesus has been accused of or, or, or found guilty of, and it serves as a warning. Everybody's like, all right, I'm not going to do that because this is what's going to happen to me. He was crucified naked, which was humiliating. We see the soldiers are dividing up his clothes, flipping a coin to see, basically to see who gets this linen garment. They don't want to cut it into four different pieces. It's not worth anything at that point. Intimidating, excruciating. Jesus crucified. While that's going on, John gives us these two snapshots. I don't know how high off the ground Jesus was. Sometimes the pictures, he's way up in the air. I don't think he was that high because we'll see in a minute. They're able to put a sponge on this stick and reach his mouth. So I don't think he's that high 
off the ground, but he is elevated a little bit, and so you've got some things going on around him. One scene, the soldiers are dividing up his clothes. John wants us to know that Jesus' death has significance, that it's not an accident, that's part of God's plan, that it has weight and meaning behind it. And so he compresses these four fulfillment quotations in this one little section. It's not something he does often in his gospel where he says, hey, this, this, is, a, this is fulfilling what was foretold in the Old Testament. This death and the manner of the death and the details of the death down to people dividing up Jesus' clothes is part of a bigger picture and part of a bigger plan. For us, it's cliche that Jesus was crucified. It was shocking and couldn't even, completely unexpected. That God's son, the Messiah, the one sent by God to make everything right, would die in this fashion. And so John wants everybody to know who's reading this, hey, it's it's okay. It's not an accident. It's part of a bigger and broader plan. And one of the Psalms, we don't have time to read it. I would encourage you to read it this week. Psalm 22. Lock it down. Psalm 22. It was on Jesus' mind throughout this time. And as you read Psalm 22 this week... They'll be think, you'll see a lot of passages that will make you think of Jesus' crucifixion. You see the humanity of him as you read Psalm 22. So I'd encourage you to do that. We don't have time this morning um, to dig into it. But that's where this idea, that's where the passage comes from about the soldiers dividing up his clothes. So that's going on. And then you also have this group of women, his mom, his aunt, and Mary Magdalene, this other Mary we don't know. Apparently there are only about three names that they had for women in those days. Lots of Marys. All, all here. And John, the beloved disciple. That's who most people think he was. The guy that wrote the book. He was the beloved disciple. And Jesus says to his mom, as a good older son, his responsibility, the eldest son, would be to take care of his mom when his dad's no longer in the picture. We haven't seen Joseph since Jesus was 12. So sometime between 12 and Jesus' public ministry, probably when he turns 30, there's some, Joseph must die. We don't, we don't hear anything from him. So assumption is he's dead. And so as the eldest son, Jesus says to his mom, hey, John is going to take care of you. John, you're going to take care of my mom. That's doing his duty again as an eldest son. We've only seen Mary one other time. This is interesting to me. She's at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, all the way back in John chapter 2. Jesus is at a wedding. His mom's there, and some of his disciples are there, and they run out of wine at the wedding. And his mom just makes a statement. They run out of wine. I think it's loaded. It may not be. It may just be an observation. I think it's a loaded statement. I think she has that kind of mother thing where she she knows something about him. I don't think that she knows what she knows, but she knows something like moms tend to do about their kids. And so to me, there's this little bit also kind of a mom thing of, hey, I know that you're There's something kind of special about you. Why don't you share that with everybody else? Just kind of pushing him out a little bit into the spotlight. I don't know that that's what's going on. It's just what I think. And Jesus' response can sound harsh and even dismissive. He says to her, woman, same word that he uses here. Don't hear it like, woman. I don't think that's how he meant. I think it's more tender than that. Woman, why are you involving me in this? What does this have to do with me and you? That's what he says. My hour has not yet come. He's distancing himself a bit from her and from what, again, what I think is a loaded statement. And her response, which again makes me, that's why I think she knows something about him, even though she doesn't know what she knows. She says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. 
That's an interesting thing to say. There's no more wine. Woman, why are you trying to involve me? My hour's not yet come. And she says, listen, do what he says. And then we know he turns about 100 to 120 gallons of water into wine. And we don't see her again until this last couple of minutes, literally, of his life. These last few minutes of Jesus' life where he's making provision for her. John, you're going to take care of my mom. Mom, you're going to take care of John. I was thinking about that for her and just kind of the, she's at some point in your life, you're going to be whipsawed. She's losing son and savior all in the same moment. Her expectations and desires, her hopes, the things she's been treasuring in her heart, according to Luke, all of that is literally bleeding out on the ground. In the midst of that, when G, if you can, I can't fathom the pain that he's in in that moment, he's taking care of her. Mom, John's going to take care of you. John, take care of mom. When you're whipsawed, when you read Psalm 22 and you say, that's me, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember Mary. Jesus made provision for her, and he'll do the same thing for you in the midst of your desolation. Jesus crucified. Jesus dies later knowing that everything had now been fulfilled. And so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, excuse me, that everything had now been finished. And so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it's finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now it was a day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and they broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies that you may also believe. These things happen so that the scripture will be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. As another scripture says, they will look on the one they've pierced. John wants us to know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus is D-E-A-D, dead, dead, dead. That's what he wants you to know. He's not in shock. He didn't faint. He's not unconscious. He is dead as a doornail. And we'll see next week why that is so important. John's like, I was there. I saw it. You can trust me. You need to know he was dead. A lot of the heresies surrounding Jesus in the first and second century had to do with, did he really die? And John wants us to know, yes, I was there. These Roman soldiers, their job is to make sure the guys on the cross are dead. It's this special Friday before the Sabbath, before the Passover. The Jewish leaders don't want their Passover meal um, contaminated by these dead bodies on the crosses. So they go to Pilate and say, can you hurry up? If you break the legs of the person being crucified, they can't push themselves up. They suffocate more quickly. 
Jesus was already dead. He's stabbed in the side with a spear. There's a medical explanation for what that blood and water are. I'm not going to get into that. I'm not a doctor. Again, you can Google that. But it indicates he was dead. There's no question. He was dead. And John wants us to know that. And again, he wants us to know that his death is part of a larger picture, a larger plan. Three times in that one little section so that the scripture would be fulfilled. One is a direct quote from Zechariah 12.10 about piercing the side. The other two are allusions. There's no quote that says, I'm thirsty in the Old Testament. It either ties back to Psalm 22, which we've already talked about. It may tie to Psalm 69. It's another one you can read. The idea of no bones being broken, that could tie back to Exodus. Remember, this is the day, preparation day, when the Jews all slaughtered their Passover lamb so they could eat it the next day at the Passover meal. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Just like those Passover lambs had to be without blemish and you couldn't break any of their bones, so Jesus, none of his bones were broken. He's a perfect sacrifice for us. Also, Psalm 34, that talks about how God will not allow, how God will protect the righteous. All of those things are bouncing around. I think what Jesus has in his mind is not Exodus, but it's the Psalms. I think it's Psalm 22 in particular. And again, I'd encourage you to read that this week. Jesus is dead, and now he's buried. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Jesus crucified. Jesus dead, Jesus buried. So two guys who are part of that group of 70, the Sanhedrin, who are the Jewish religious leaders, two of those guys, Joseph, who we've not met before, and Nicodemus, who we have, go to Pilate, and they want Jesus' body. These guys who are crucified are criminals. It's a low class of people who are crucified. It's a subset of people, kind of the worst of the worst, and bodies are kind of all just dumped in mass, and they say, we want Jesus' body. And Pilate says, okay, and he releases Jesus' body to them, and somehow they get it from wherever he is to this tomb. Maybe they take it straight from the cross into the tomb. I guess they throw it over their shoulder. I don't know what that looks like. They do the fireman's carry thing, or they, I don't know. They're, they get Jesus to the tomb. Nicodemus, 75 pounds of spices. That's a ton. That's royal level spices in this tomb remember it's a cave and there's a slab and you'd put the dead body on the slab and you would put the spices on the dead body because you would allow the dead body to decompose for a year and that cuts the smell then you'd go back after a year collect the bones put them in a box and put the box on a shelf farther back in the tomb and then you could use the slab again so these two guys joseph and nicodemus come and take the body we see joseph is is labeled a secret believer Nicodemus, again, we've seen before, like Mary, all the way back in the beginning. Chapter 3, he's a Pharisee. He comes to Jesus at night. Why? Because he's embarrassed. He's sincere, I think, 
but he's, a, he's embarrassed. He's a religious leader. He's supposed to be an expert, and he's going to a carpenter to ask about spiritual things. It's like the mechanic who can't figure out how to fix his own car. That's Nicodemus. He doesn't know what, he's embarrassed, and so he goes to Jesus at night, and they have this conversation about what it means to be born again, and what it means to enter the kingdom of God. And then we see Nicodemus again, probably a year, year and a half later in chapter 7, where the Jewish leaders have decided we're going to kill Jesus. And they're trying to arrest him, and they're being unsuccessful. And Nicodemus in this group of 70, I don't, it's not a strong defense, for sure. For sure. But what he says is, hey, doesn't our law say that we should at least find out what Jesus is talking about before we condemn him? That's what he says. Something, not much. But that's what he says. And now maybe it's another year later, after Jesus' death, Nicodemus, and what I think is a declaration of devotion and loyalty and love. I see it that way. If you touch a dead body, you're unclean. I don't see how Joseph and Nicodemus do what they're doing without touching Jesus' dead body, which means they can't eat the Passover. That, that's something to me. They're one of the 70, they're two of the 70 leaders of their people, and they're willingly making themselves unclean on one of the holiest days of the year. They would have had to go to Pilate. There's some level of public expression there. We were talking about this in staff meeting, and one of the um, people on our staff, this woman, she said, hey, to me, when I think about Joseph and I think about Nicodemus, she's like, I think about us, this mixture of faith and doubt, this mixture of fear and love. Nicodemus, there's a progression. He's embarrassed. At the, in chapter 7, he seems like he's, he's moving. He, he's at least open towards Jesus. I think he wants them to be open towards him, give Jesus a chance, but he's not willing to put his neck, stick his neck out. In chapter 12, we read that there were leaders who were becoming followers of Jesus. But they were afraid of the Pharisees. Nicodemus is one of them. So you can imagine, he'd be afraid too. These, he knows these guys and he knows what they're capable of. Because they would be kicked out of the synagogue if they started following Jesus. And John says they love the praise of people more than the praise of God. So that was Nicodemus. And now I see a move in him. You may not. I do. I see a shift in him where he's willing great cost to himself financially those spices cost money in terms of his reputation in his peer group being willing to be unclean being willing to publicly align himself with Jesus who at this point remember he is D-E-A-D dead 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 he hadn't risen from the grave yet he's just dead and for Nicodemus to be again what I see is a willingness to align himself with Jesus that's encouraging to me to see the progression of faith in him. I don't know if that encourages you or not. There's always room for us to grow. That's not a whip at your back to say do better. I hope it's an invitation, an opportunity for you to recognize that in times when doubt wins or fear wins, that doesn't have to be the last word. It doesn't have to be. You may have been embarrassed, but you don't have to keep being embarrassed. You may have been scared of the consequences, but you don't have to keep being scared of the consequences. You may have been a secret believer, but you don't have to keep being a secret believer. There's an opportunity for you. 
We want to take, we only have a couple of minutes left. I'm going to be done. I want us to pray. I want us to pray for two groups. I want to read you the first line of Psalm 22, first two verses. Close your eyes, please. And if this is you, we want to pray for you. You're in good company. This is what, this is how Jesus felt on the cross. He quoted this Psalm, not in John, but he quotes it in Mark. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. But I night, at night, but I find no rest. If that's you this morning, you want to pray. That can be a hard thing because you may know in your brain, I'm okay, or somebody else has it worse. But how do you feel in your heart? Do you feel forsaken by God? We want to pray for you. Do you feel whipsawed? You're Mary at the foot of that cross. Your son and your savior bleeding in front of you. Dying before your very eyes. And you don't know what to think about anything. Is that how you feel this morning? Please let us pray for you. Just like God made provision, or excuse me, just like Jesus made provision for Mary, he'll do the same for you. I don't know what that looks like, but I know he will. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand firm in your love. As we were singing that, were you like, nah, it's not true for me. Fear runs my life. Or fear runs this area of my life. We want to pray for you. Doubt may win sometimes, fear may win sometimes, but they don't have to win today. And they don't have to win tomorrow. As you stand in the love of Jesus, as you recognize the great love that he has for you to the point of being willing to endure that excruciating death, separation from his Father in order to be reconciled to you, that love can drive out fear. We're not going to pray that you don't feel fearful. Feel fearful. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's moving forward in the face of it. And so that's what we're going to pray, that God would give you courage to be faithful, to be led by His Spirit, not driven by fear. So either of those two things, do you feel forsaken? And are you afraid? Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you minister into the hearts of every man and woman in this room? I pray for those who feel forsaken, that they would know your care and concern. And I pray for those who are fearful, particularly those who kind of in their mind, they're saying, I know better. I know all the verses. They're tacked up on my mirror. And yet they still wrestle with fear. Would today be the day that they have a fresh revelation of your great love for them and that that would drive fear from their heart in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys stand. Ministry teams, if you come forward. If you see the ministry teams are full and you're someone who's on one of our teams, please come and take a spot up here. We don't want people to have to wait very long uh, for prayer and we are um, we're kind of pushing up against our time here. Good? So ministry teams, you guys come forward. Everybody stand and respond quickly, please.